Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to episode 76. I should really stop announcing numbers at the beginning of my episodes because I keep screwing them up. But I did double check today. 76 is where we're at. Today, I am joined by Leslie Butterfield to discuss her popular recent commentary published in the Salt Lake Tribune. The link to the article is in the show notes. This episode has been live on Patreon for over two weeks, but it's time to release it to everyone. If you'd like to earn early release privileges, head on over to Patreon slash Mormon Happy Hour and see which level of debauchery and heathen support works best for you in your life. Much appreciated. Speaking of Patreon, I need to thank my April subscribers. So thank you to Rob. He's at the Forbidden Fruit Mixer level. He gets occasional videos of guests and he qualifies for swag. Next, thank you to Lene and Kent, who joined the whole keg. They get even more videos and swag a bit faster. So thanks to all my past, current, and new Patreon subscribers. You definitely make creating a podcast possible, since it's really an expensive and time-consuming hobby. Keeping the podcast out of debt is definitely a good thing. Also, I'm going to try and use my Mormon talents of passive-aggressive guilt-smearing and whine that no one has responded to my last episode about meeting up during the week of Sunstone. No live drinks 101 meetup? No finally getting to meet you in person and thank you for listening? I see how it is. Okay, no, that feels gross. I'm not doing that again. But for real, let's get together. Let me know if you're interested or not. You know all the ways, right? We have mormonhappyhour at gmail.com, Instagram at mormonhappyhour, Twitter at mormonhappyhour, the Facebook page and the Facebook group. 435-494-1427 is the voicemail. And through the website, which is angelsonfire.org. Sunstone's theme this year is the future of faith, and it will be in Sandy at the Mountain America Expo Center from July 31st to August 3rd. I will be there again this year with my sound booth, but I plan to be a lot more active in meeting you listeners and not being in the booth all three days. So let's plan it. I'm also stocking up on swag to bring right now in the Facebook group poll for what swag you want to see, shot glasses are winning for sure, with coffee mugs a close second. I'm also tweaking my logo just a bit and making die-cut vinyl bumper stickers that I cannot wait to put on my car. I hope to see you there at Sunstone in Sandy, in Utah, of course. It will be the place to be, as always, to get your fill or your overfill of Mormonism. If you get burned out, just come hang out with me. I'll keep it real with you. I promise.
Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. I have a returning wonderful guest, Leslie Butterfield. She recently wrote a, I guess it's considered a commentary, not an op-ed. What's the difference? Um, well, I think it is an op-ed slash, slash commentary. <laughs> More than a letter. You know, letters are like a little bit shorter and they're kind of published. They publish several of those. Commentaries okay. are a little bit longer and they may do two or three a day. Got it. Well, this was beautiful because it's short, it's sweet. It is entitled, The LDS Church Officials Are Practicing Spiritual Extortion. And it is, it, it's a short read, so you don't have any excuse not to read it because it's definitely worth reading. And it, it's a response to the most recent uh, general conference that was held by the LDS Church um, this April. And what what was it two weeks ago about do you know the date of conference yeah it was yeah two weeks ago it was about two weeks ago yes yeah april 6th yes. so general conference was held on april 6th this um commentary was published on april 10th and so i invited leslie on because it is a very powerful piece that she wrote she makes some excellent points and it's gotten a really good response so, Leslie, I wanted to kind of allow you, first of all, to introduce yourself. Say hello. Hello, I'm Leslie Butterfield. I live in Virginia, and I do a lot of advocacy work on different outlets with different organizations concerning the church, and the abuse piece of the church is a huge one for me. I'm affiliated with Rational Faiths and also with Sisters Quorum and uh the mormon me too group we have a facebook group mm -hmm. and yeah well thank you and thank you so much for all of the advocacy work that you do it's very important and i really really appreciate your example and all of your all of your heart your hard work and your words it's great so leslie's been on mormon happy hour a lot and i love her all of her contributions. So I wanted to give you a chance, Leslie, to kind of talk about why it is you felt moved to kind of put your, your, your reactions to conference into words and, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So I tuned into conference, uh, for one talk and that was, uh, president Nelson's talk. Um, Ouch. I kind of was like monitoring who was speaking and I was like, okay, the prophet's speaking. I'm going to watch this because not, not so much because I'm, you know, a true believer in the sense that I do feel like he speaks from God because that's not my perspective any longer, but because usually when they announce very important changes for policy or clarifications on doctrines, it does come through the prophet's talk mm -hmm. at conference. Mm -hmm. And I was really hoping for coffee. <laughs> I was really hoping that, you know, we could, we could get some clarification on, yeah, coffee would be wonderful. And that was a huge rumor mm -hmm. that was circulating this time, bigger than I have ever seen it before mm -hmm. a conference. Or I was hoping that they would clarify a little bit more about the rescinding of the November policy. I felt like that was really an untouched aspect that wasn't covered in conference up to that point at all, except mm -hmm. in counterproductive ways that, that really didn't uphold any of the reasons why they would rescind that policy. There was a lot of talk on traditional marriage, traditional families, 
and, and following that path, which was, didn't really go along. I felt like with, you know, the recent policy reversal or recent rescinding of that policy, whatever they're calling it, revelation. I don't know what they're, what they're going with right now, but <laughs> yeah. So I was just hoping for like further light and knowledge, you know, from the prophet, like I said, not because I feel like, um, it was, it was from God, but because I felt like it would speak to some cultural changes that were important to me in the church. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to kind of get into the, the meat, the body of the article. You wrote some really great points. You definitely, you started with mentioning your hopes of coffee, which I love. That's a great intro. And then you included a tagline that President Nelson used in that um, very notable address where he, I've heard it called the sad heaven talk. (laughs) Uh, And he, he said, time is running out. And it was a running theme coupled with warnings that family ties would be eternally severed for those who do not walk the one size fits all path. As we are so concerned with calling things by their correct names, let's start with this. And so I'm going to kind of read some of the body. And if you want to jump in and talk about any of this, feel free to stop me. Sure. All right. Tying the eternal salvation and exaltation of church members to a checklist of requirements, which includes but is not limited to paying money to the church, is spiritual extortion teaching that families may not be together after death because of differences in beliefs, inability to conform, or unwillingness to make specific prescribed covenants is spiritual coercion. Perpetuating this belief as a universal truth for everyone is psychological torment and religious manipulation. So those are big words and big claims, and I completely agree, but have you received any pushback for that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't ever read the comments when I write articles, typically. Uh, It's one thing that I learned from a mentor of mine that has really saved my sanity, I feel like. But someone did send me a screenshot of a comment. Oh, no. Um, Yeah, and it it wasn't bad, but it said, you know, well, is Verizon Wireless um, extorting you for paying for your cell phone bill? Like, they're guaranteeing you a service, and you pay for it. Is that extortion in your eyes? And of course, I, I don't read the comments and I don't respond, but, um, and I don't want, I don't want to really respond to that, but it, because it was, you know, I feel like a very frivolous point that mm-hmm. I can respond to easily, I will say this, that, you know, Verizon Wireless is providing a guaranteed service. Okay. Your cell phone works when we need it to work. Um, we know that there is, you know, science behind cell phones working and that we have phones working whenever we need them. Okay. Prophets that claim to speak for God and people that are claiming that they know what happens without, without it being, um, perpetuating it like it is a guaranteed thing is not a guarantee. It's not a guaranteed service that, that you pay for and you're going to get something in return. That is what they're, you know, uh, marketing it as I would guess I would, I would say they're marketing it as that. But it's problematic in so many ways. You know, first of all, um, it goes back to the whole point of indulgences. You know, we, we know that Martin Luther, that was one of his uh, main concerns with the, ch- with the church back in his time, is that people were paying their way into heaven. 
you know, they would go to the priests and pay their way. And then they were guaranteed a spot into heaven. Mm-hmm. I, and, and we all know that was wrong. Like, right. Like when I, when we learned about it in sixth grade, we were all like, that is horrific. I mean, that's what I thought mm-hmm. now looking at it from, from person who's been raised in Mormonism, but also seeing it for what it is, you have to, to get to the temple, you have to get a temple recommend, which means you have to be a full tithe payer, which means you have to pay money. And the temple then guarantees us a spot in the highest, um, uh, you know, kingdom of the celestial kingdom itself. So like on the top tier, right? Mm -hmm. So it's no different. It's no different to me than indulgences. It's no different to me than spiritual extortion because you are taking money now and guaranteeing something later, which is unguaranteeable. You know, it's problematic for so many ways. So that would kind of be my response to those kind of comments. Yeah, no, I totally agree because it, and it's not, it's really hard to kind of look back at my believing Mormon self and, and I'll hear the arguments like, well, it is guaranteed. Well, they are speaking for God and, you know, but then when you look at all of these places where the, you know, God changes his mind in three years about how he feels about LGBTQ children and, and all these things, I'm like, well, what's really guaranteed and, and how can you really make that, that mental gymnastics work for you? And lots do, but it's just it's very problematic, like you said, because we have men speaking for this invisible mute God that doesn't speak directly to his people. He speaks through a mouthpiece. And so you have to trust this man on earth to get it right. And oops, three years later, we changed a really big policy. So, you know, what else? Like, is that on God? Did God change his mind? And how often does God change his mind? Like, when does that happen? And there's just so many unguarantees that that kind of that, that are right here right now going on in Mormonism that makes what you're saying here so important. So, right. And I also, I didn't, I didn't touch on this in the piece because I had limited time, limited space and word count. But when I, I also feel like the transparency piece is a huge part of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, when you pay your Verizon wireless phone bill, what that money is going to, you know, is going to your phone. It, where the church is concerned, we don't know. We, we might be told, you know, oh, it's going to, you know, help humanitarian aid, or it's going to build temples, it's going to uh, church supplies, and, and all these sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. But in reality, there is no transparency in the church. There is no financial transparency of any kind. We don't know where that money's going. We don't know where it ends up. We have no idea what is done with it. Mm-hmm. And in working with as many abuse survivors as I do, and in seeing lawsuits you know, happen and come to fruition and going through the process of that uh, with the people that I, that I have gotten to know, I can tell you that there is very, there's a lot of doubt in my mind as to whether or not tithing is going to worthwhile causes. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I really wonder uh, what, what money is being used to defend sexual predators and people that are abused, abusers mm-hmm. um, because the church is liable for that. So mm-hmm. that is one thing that I think if everybody knew that piece of it and 
if members were aware, like, look, they're spending millions, millions of dollars on lawsuits to defend the church's good name mm-hmm. when they're implicated in it because they have some fault because they perpetuated a sexual predator and pushed him off to babysit, you know, children in West Virginia where he abused 40, 40 children, okay, sexually, 40 children. And the church jumps right in with his defense. They defend themselves. They pay for lawyers. And it's a huge uh, expense. It's a huge cost to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like without the transparency piece, I feel like it becomes more extortative, if that's a word, that we don't know where it's going. Okay, we're, you know, oh, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to try and get to the temple and, and get into heaven that way. Meanwhile, these funds are going to very unchristlike. Uh, actions. Absolutely. It is. It is very icky. It's an icky thing to even think about how much of your tithing is going to perpetuate um, a culture that protects sexual predators. It's horrible. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people, like you said, aren't aware of this, yet we have documented proof from cases that are not sealed knowing exactly the dollar amount and we can only speculate from what we know on what cases are sealed as to the the unknown exponential dollar amount that is being spent on non-disclosure agreements you know all these uh, the settlements where these cases never make it to court they just get paid off with large large amounts of money Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah it's a huge problem It's a huge problem. And yeah, I really feel like, you know, any, if the church is claiming nonprofit uh, tax exempt status, which do they do that? Do you know if they do that? They do. Okay. So that, okay. So yeah. So this is the thing. If they're doing that, I, I've, I'm affiliated with several nonprofits and the very first thing with any nonprofit is they give you a financial transparency report. Mm -hmm. They give you strategic goals. They give you benchmarks. They give you exactly an operational uh, account of what it takes to run everything, how much everybody gets paid, what this department takes to run, how much revenue is being raised for that department. Um, If you get donations where that money goes, I mean, it is all transparent. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't understand personally how the church gets away with not doing that. Like that is, I, I don't understand it. I don't, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, especially when they're bringing as much in as they bring in. Just, so, and, and there's the, yeah, there's the corporate side of it too. You know, there's a corporation that's tied to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other piece. You know, maybe people will say, well, you know, the lawyers are paid out of the corporation's pot of money, but how do we know it's not all the same pot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I completely agree. So then you, in your, in your commentary piece, you start talking about really the effects that this has, the, the spiritual extortion or spiritual coercion has on families. So to quote, these teachings are alienating to a myriad of families, including divorced families, blended families, single parent families, step families, childless families, extended families, grandparent families, foster families, joint families, families by choice, non-nuclear families, and LGBTQ families. It also carelessly promotes othering among traditional families, 
because opportunities for learning, growth, connection, empathy, and understanding of people in situations that are different but no less worthy can be stifled by these beliefs. As a single mother who has had no choice but to step away from the church for my own safety, I see that my children, who still sometimes attend, are damaged and harmed when they hear this rhetoric, as it causes psychological trauma and is emotionally threatening. No mother should ever have to hear her child ask, why can't we be in the same heaven, mommy? It's not okay, and it certainly is not healthy. As a community health nurse, I find it deeply concerning, ethically speaking, as it is fundamentally indicative of an unhealthy institutional system. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints should not be in the business of spiritual alienation, family separation, or ecclesiastical intimidation. But as it appears, it most definitely is. Life is not black and white. It is a million shades of gray, plus all the colors of the rainbow. Heaven will be just as colorful and vibrant. I fully embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ, which is why I teach my children that nothing will separate us, ever, because this is what Christ taught. And then you go on with this beautiful list of, of juxtapositions from what, basically, what, in, in your eyes, what Jesus Christ guarantees and kind of what the church has given us. For example, mm-hmm. heaven will be a place of love, not longing. The, the, the church or the heaven that President Nelson spoke of in his sad heaven talk is, is one of, of familial separation and, and longing for those family members who have fallen away from the fold and her, who are no longer part of our family be, because of their own, you know, their own sin and transgression, which it's sad and horrible. And, and, and it isn't at all what, you know, the, the example of a Jesus Christ figure has given us, which is what they, they claim to base the religion on. So kind of give me your, your reaction to maybe what I've read and then kind of going forward into this list of ju- juxtapositions. Yeah, I, I feel like the talk, that that talk that he gave was not meant for believing members, okay? Believing members who already have temple marriages, who are, who are feeling, you know, fulfilling all of the checklists and the box of requirements that they have to. That talk was not meant for them. The talk was meant for people who aren't doing that and don't have those things and, uh, you know, a kind of a call for come back, come back to the covenant path, come back and, you know, fulfill your requirement uh, so you can get into heaven. And not only was it hurtful to the people that it was directed at, like myself and many, many of the people that I love who are in the uh, post-Mormon or progressive Mormon communities, but it was, it, it also hurts us even more because we know how our families and friends who are in the church are taking that. We know that they will be hurt. That, that causes, it's like, you know, saying you need to come back so that your child can believe that they're going to be in, that you're going to be in heaven with them. And you can save, you save your child from the trauma by doing this, mm-hmm. that something that you don't believe in or something like for, in my case, it's unsafe for me. There's a very unethical leader that I will not subject myself to. So um, that has harmed me already and hurt me greatly. Um, so, you know, for, for people that it was actually directed to, 
this is this is the response of why it is so hurtful. I I did see a lot of um, people that said this isn't any different than what we've grown up. It's not any different than other talks that speak about the the requirements for heaven. Mm-hmm. And I would disagree with that a little bit. Like, yes, we all know that this is the doctrine. We, we understand that. But there, for a couple of reasons, this was different because there was no, um, there was no leeway given on either side. There was no, you know, yes, we hope that they come back. If this is what you're going to believe, we hope that they come back, but you know, please don't worry yourself about heaven. It will be a place of love and not longing. Don't worry about that. You know, there was nothing about that. It was like, come back and pay your tithing and get you like, stay in the boat. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you know, you're, I'm going to give a talk and say, and tell people how, um, awful you are because you won't come back because Mm -hmm. you are the one that's ruining it for your whole family or you are the one that is traumatizing your own children by making this choice to step away from the church. So that was one thing. And I also feel like I've heard, I've heard a lot of talks like this, but for some reason now in the climate that we're in and in the awakened awareness state that we're talking more about coercion, you know, when it comes to male female relationships or in any, any sexual relationships, we're talking more about that. Conversations have started more um, about spiritual abuse. You know, that's very much a, a widely used word in a lot of these progressive communities. We're talking more about these issues of this is unhealthy. This is an unhealthy practice. This is an unhealthy policy. You know, this is an unhealthy thing that we do in the church that we've never really examined before, or maybe we have, but we have new information now and a new context to put it in. And so, yeah, it might not be anything new, but for me, I'm like, I, I turned the talk on and I, I was astounded at how coercive it was spiritually. It -hmm. was full of spiritual coercion and spirit and that's spiritual abuse in my eyes. So, and before I, I could have probably heard the same talk and not realized that, but given what I know now and, and the awareness that, you know, I, I, along with many people have, we see it this way. We see it this way more now. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like, like you said that the talk was written for kind of those on the fringes or who may have stepped away as kind of a shaming way to get them back in. But I feel like it's also, it's also like how many members do you really think there are that are comfortably confident that they are following all of the rules and that they are in a wonderful place where every member of their family is going to make it back to heaven. No problem. How many members can say like zero, zero. Yeah. I mean, even when I had all of those things, even when, you know, I was doing everything that I, that I was supposed to do and like the temple recommend questions, I could answer all of those truthfully and, and it was a great, you know, I, I felt like I was checking all the boxes. I, I had never been more insecure than I was at that point in my life. You know, I had never, I, I look at that point in my life and I, and I look and I'm like, I didn't know. I, I was not in touch with my own spirituality. I did not own it. I didn't claim it. I didn't have the authority over my own spirituality. Now I do. It's, it's personal to me. It's very, very different, but 
you know, God and I are completely square. And because I, I feel that in myself, because I'm, I feel that I know, I know what is, is good. And I know, you know, what Christ would teach and what Buddha would teach and, and all of this goodness that's around us everywhere. And all of these truths that are from so many different religious beliefs. I know that family separation and sad heaven and empty seats in heaven is it, 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 there is no way that it matches with anything good that I know. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where, you know, that's, yeah, that's kind of where I come from. I'm like, there's nobody in the church that exists like that. Everybody has a, a family member or a child or someone that they love who has stepped away from the church. Mm-hmm. And we're all human. We all have, um, you know, this is a one size fits all state, like straight and narrow, very high demand, strict, uh, conformity religion and gospel and and you are unallowed like you said to be in tune with your own spirituality your own authenticity and so the chances of anyone having something in their life to feel guilt for and shame for like to me this talk was written for every member and especially Mm -hmm. those members who have members of their family who have stepped away to to put in, to instill this time-sensitive fear-mongering, this guilt and this shame that they have to make sure that they're in line and that everyone in their family is in line, like this self-policing community that we have created. Uh, plug right now for Honor Code Stories Honor Instagram Code. account. Yeah. Let's talk about a, a self-policing community right there and how unhealthy yes. that can be. And and I feel like. Like that's a little, you know, nucleus, a little like a, a, a Petri dish of what the entire church community and culture is all about. So you can sit there and say that, oh, that's just a BYU. No, it's not. No. Where do you think they learn those things? From the larger church, church culture as a whole. That's where it comes from. And those people that yeah. leave BYU, they're still members of their Mormon community out in the world, still holding those same beliefs of self-policing. Right. I mean, how many of us when we were in the church didn't want to go to Walmart on Sunday because we were scared of seeing somebody Yeah, and not even thinking, well, they're there too. You right. know, they're at Walmart on Sabbath day too. So, <laughs> or, or how many of us, you know, didn't post a picture on Facebook when we were on vacation because we weren't wearing our garments, mm-hmm. you know, because it, we were on a cruise or something like that. Or, I mean, I, I can't even tell you the things that I worried about when, uh, that was my life and that was my belief system. Um, and it really does retract or detract from just living, living life and gaining knowledge. And, you know, you mentioned like the straight and narrow path. And I, I just sort of view like this path that's like, you know, it's totally just straight and there's no ups and downs. There's no peaks or valleys, you know, and, and to me, the peaks and valleys is what makes the journey beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've learned so many things from my peaks and from my valleys and from all of those, you know, really, really tough times that I've gone through mm-hmm. and that, that haven't been part of the plan for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, yeah, I feel like 
that's an important point too. It's like you're, they're kind of erasing, uh, the need for the, not the need, but I'd say the value in some trials and what we can learn from those. And they, they delegitimize your personal relationship with, with your deity because they come in and say, no, these are the rules. And you're like, but this is what feels right in my life. Whatever that feels right may be for you. If it Mm -hmm. feels right for you, but it's in contradiction to what, you know, the mouthpieces of God on the earth say is right, then you have to, you have to just disregard your own personal feelings and what feels right for you. And that completely disregards our own authenticity and, and trusting ourselves, which is so damaging. And there's just so much guilt and shame. And that, as you and I know, leads to anxiety and depression because of this unattainable perfection that no one's ever going to get to. And like, where's the comfort? Where's the real comfort of, of the gospel. Where's the real happiness when we can never be whole and we're constantly getting messages like president Nelson's message that, you know, time is running out and you're still not doing it and you still need to make sure that everyone else is in line. And it's just, it's just so hopeless. Right, but, but, but look at my family, we're all making it. I mean, right. he included that part in there, which was extremely sad to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I do feel I do feel like that's definitely true. And I want to talk for a minute about the unhealthiness of what we are teaching children. Mm-hmm. So after I wrote this, um, I had a lot of people reach out to me that said, you know, I was raised in a part member family or I was raised with an inactive, one parent was inactive, one parent was active. And the trauma that I felt as a child you know, like knowing that my dad drank coffee and my mom was going to make it to heaven and I would be with her, but my dad wouldn't be there was so heartbreaking. And kids cannot conceptualize anything like that. They can't put it into any kind of context except what we're telling them, which is uh, they, they view that as truth. Mm-hmm. And so that is so psychologically damaging to tell a child and to teach a child that they, you know, that, that families have to do A, B, C, and D to get into heaven and for them already to have put those pieces together that their family doesn't fit that mold. Um, it, that's, it's damaging. It's psychologically damaging. It's psychological torment. Like I said, it's abusive psychologically. It's not okay. And, um, yeah, I think that that's a huge, a huge red flag of an unhealthy institution to teach something like that with, without, you know, kind of addressing that we believe everybody is good, you know? And I mean, the Unitarian church that I go to sometimes with my kids, it's a universalist church and it's like one big, big Ted talk whenever we go. I mean, it's wonderful. There's not a lot of like religious, you know, uh, scripture or anything, but it's just good knowledge. It's truth, beauty, and goodness. And my kids, they go into a little class and there's a window on the classroom and the doors are ajar a little bit. Everybody who works with kids is background checked. And um, they come, they came home with a paper that just said, um, I am good. Like, I am good. And it was a little drawing of themselves. And I was like, you know, we need to be teaching more of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it just seems like we're, 
the church is really getting lost in those messages that are so important to children's development spiritually. I mean, it's like a fundamental thing. If you want to, if you want a child to be healthy spiritually, you know, give them uh, tools for increasing their own self-esteem. Don't, mm -hmm. don't perpetuate fear mongering and make them worried already at age six, seven, eight about heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, goodness, it's, it's just not a healthy thing at all. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to write your reactions so powerfully. Is there anything in closing that you wanted to kind of talk about with your piece or the reaction? Yeah, well, the reaction was very positive. Um, you know, there was, there's not a lot that people can say um, in response to it because everyone knows that this is what is being taught, yeah. you know, so they can kind of argue about terminology and stuff. But um, the response was, was really, really good. Of course, post-Mormons in the community, it, you know, went viral there. But I also had a lot of people who are in the church in, in different groups say, like, thank you so much. This talk was deeply disturbing to me. Or I'm in the situation, and these are things that I worry about all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was a lot more unifying than the, the original talk that he gave. <laughs> My response to it was a lot more unifying of a message yeah. um, than his talk. So, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like that was good. And, yeah, it did really well. Like, you know, it was, it was um, the number one, like, news story for Google for a day or two when you wow. type in general conference, it's since been buried, of course, but that's awesome. Um, Leslie. Good job. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was good, you know? So I'm like, people are going to, people are seeing this hopefully. And, uh, on the tribune, it was like trending for three days. So that's really good for a commentary. I feel yeah. like it spoke to a lot of people and it's important. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear your success in getting this, this message and, and these ideas out there because hopefully they can save people from the turmoil and the abuse and, and hopefully people can wake up and realize that they don't have to subject themselves or their children to this type of, right. of messaging. Right. I feel like the only, you know, if, if this was in another context of another religion, of any institutional system, of a company, anything it would, we would be able to call it extortion. We would be able to call it coercion. We would be able to call it psychological abuse and, and, you know, abusive as a practice. But because so many of Mormons operate with the uh, basis that, you know, well, this is the truth. This is the true church and this is the right priesthood. And so that makes it okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is just a common theme in, in all of our beliefs in Joseph Smith's actions, you know, with 14 year old girls, mm -hmm. um, the same kind of thing, you know, that's, that's rape. It's, um, sexual abuse. It's, uh, many other things, but because he was prophet or had the priesthood or because this is a true church, well, we're going to look the other way and not call it what it is. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we, we can't do that anymore. It's not, it's not sustainable. No. It's not at least healthy. in my opinion. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's just, not healthy it's either. Not, it's not an opinion. That's a fact. It's, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for, right. for children and adults and any vulnerable population, anyone. It's not safe for anyone to live in, in, a, in a culture that 
that perpetuates this type of environment, this toxicity. And, and I yeah. like listening to you talk about the, the coercion and the money involved and the promises of, you know, that, that can't be proven. I know everybody hates that C word, that cult word, but that's what it mm -hmm. feels like. Like when you're talking about, yeah. it, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's Scientology. Wait, no, we're talking about Mormonism. Like eh, kind of feels the same way. Cause that, that money that yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was talking to a reporter um, who's looking to do a story on something, and I, I probably talk to, like, a, a few reporters every month. Um, and sometimes the stories get published, sometimes they don't. But mm -hmm. uh, this particular reporter, I was trying to explain to her, like, look, I the reason that I, I try to stay away from saying the church is a cult and it's this evil organization and, and the people in it are brainwashed, like, I try not to use the term, those terms because um, that automatically – solidifies the belief that I am an anti-Mormon yep. and already doing what I'm doing, you know, writing an article like this, mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing, helping abuse survivors, speaking out against the unhealthiness in the church. I'm already getting that label. Yep. And so anything that I can do to say, like not get any more of that label on me, because I am, I am getting people that are very believing Mormons that love their religion, who mm -hmm. understand what I'm saying yeah. and who want change. And so, yeah, but I agree. I, there, sometimes you can't, you can't look away from what is happening. You know, yeah. these are unhealthy practices that, um, a lot of cults have in them and yeah. we can't, <laughs> you know, we can't exactly ignore that part. Yeah. I'll say it. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie never said yeah. it. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't ever like use, I try to use other terms and that's yeah. actually, that's what I did in this piece. You know, yeah. I used, I broke it down into the practices yeah. and what they were doing. And I think, yeah. and it becomes so much more powerful within this community when you can, you, you can describe what's happening and you don't use those trigger words that turn people off immediately. You just, it, mm -hmm. it, it becomes far more effective. So bravo for, for finding those words and, and finding the ways to explain so well what is happening and, you know, hopefully to start those wheels to turn in. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. If people can recognize them when they're, when they're in church or listening to talks or in lessons, that's a good thing. You know, yeah. that's a good thing to push back on those. Cause I've been in lessons where people have said, you know, kind of the same sort of thing. And uh, I feel like crap because, you know, that's, that's not speaking to my situation or whatever. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Leslie. So sorry, this was kind of a downer topic, but I think it's a powerful message and I'm so glad that you had such a good response sharing it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll bring you back on for something more positive soon. I promise. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. <laughs> thank you, Leslie. Yeah. wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers! <laughs>